This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. All right, a lot's been going on over the last few weeks to include the book tour for In the Blood. So thank you to everybody that came out to say hello on the book tour. Really meant the world to me. And In the Blood debuted at number one on the New York Times list. So thank you very much. And it pulled the trifecta. So hardcover, hardcover and ebook combined and the audiobook list. So read by Ray Porter. And uh, so to get that trifecta, number one's across the board. Thank you. Uh, it would not have happened without this strong foundation, word of mouth, people taking a risk on me as a new author and telling a friend. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Uh, as soon as I got off that, jumped right into the Best Defense Foundation program in Normandy, France. So we took 29 World War II veterans back to the beaches of Normandy, back to the towns of Normandy uh, on which they fought. Uh, Donnie Edwards and his wife, Catherine, amazing people, started this foundation to bring veterans back to the battlefields on which they fought to get closure, to say goodbye. And these veterans, the average age, I think was 97. So we had a couple of young ones that lied about their age to get in and went in at age 15 to go fight for their country in World War II. And then we had a couple that were a little older. So they ranged from 93 to 104, somewhere in there. So to be uh, in those areas with them on D-Day and with my daughter, who's 16, uh, she got to, to go out there just like we did for Pearl Harbor, bringing those veterans back to Pearl Harbor was a life-changing experience. So moving, so powerful. And uh, uh, none of us will ever forget it. So thank you to Donnie and Catherine Edwards and check out bestdefensefoundation.org uh, to go check out what they have going on. Check them out on the social channels as well, uh, Best Defense Foundation. So, all right, what else? Well, the trailer dropped for the terminal list. So if you haven't seen it, you can go to uh, to my social channels at Jack Carr USA. You can go to my YouTube channel, uh, check it out there. But the, the two minute and 20 second, two minute, 15 second trailer dropped and... Uh, it's pretty awesome. So it's coming July 1st to Amazon Prime Video starring Chris Pratt. And it's just incredible. So Antoine Fuqua, Chris Pratt, uh, executive producers, showrunner David DeGilio. We have an amazing cast uh, with Constance Wu, with Taylor Kitsch, with Gene Triplehorn. It's absolutely fantastic. I could not be more thrilled about it. So July 1st, it drops all at once. So it is bingeable. But on June 14th, what's coming in here? Well, look at that. A reprint of the terminal list. That's right. So hardcover, this is called trade paperback right here. And this is mass market paperback. You can see the different sizes right there with Chris Pratt on the cover. Amazing. And this one right here, the hardcover has a couple of special features in it. it. Has a new forward that I wrote in here about how the book came to be, how the series came to be, all the veterans that helped out, uh, special operations guys in the filming of the series. And then in the middle, there are a bunch of photos, exclusive photos from the set. And uh, anyway, it's just awesome. So thank you, Simon and & Schuster and Amazon for making this happen. It's, uh, yeah, could not be more fired up. All right. My guest today, is a guest that you've heard before because this podcast was recorded. Actually, it was the second podcast that I recorded for Danger Close, and it is with my dear friend, mentor, uh, Clint Smith. And if you haven't heard of Clint Smith, go check him out. Thunder Ranch Inc. 
uh, com or Thunder Ranch Inc. on the social channels. But if you're listening to this podcast, I am sure you know who Clint Smith is and know all about his Thunder Ranch shooting school that is now located in Oregon. So Clint served two tours in Vietnam, then became a police officer, then went to work for HK, then Gunsight before starting Thunder Ranch. Uh, I've trained with him personally, trained with him with my family. I've taken my SEAL team out there, my snipers out there, uh, my assaulters out there, and uh, just couldn't be uh, couldn't be more honored to call him a friend. So uh, this is the second podcast that I did. So it's uh, I didn't have as many subscribers back then. So for those of you who have not heard it, here it is. Without further ado, my friend, the legend, Clint Smith. Here I am at Thunder Ranch Good morning. Uh, with Clint Smith. Good morning, How sir. Are How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And for those watching, we're having a little fireside chat here after a couple great days like FDR. of training. That's it. Right. That's fireside right. Chat, yeah. yeah, we've been out here with Stephen Pressfield, of uh, author of Gates of Fire, for the last couple days here, reintroducing him to some weapons craft. Yes, sir. And had a great time. But uh, uh, Clint, thank you so much for, for everything, for having us out here and for all Appreciate your love it. and support over the years. It uh, means, the, means the world to me. Me. Well, some uh, people may or may not know, but you and I have known each other for decades now, multiple. So we've been around. Um, so uh, I, I think that they go like, oh, he's just interviewing this guy. And kind of go, no, actually, we've known each other for a long time. So this was interesting to uh, have um, people who are real writers yeah, yourself. Well, okay. Well, Stephen Pressfield, Steven, for sure. Yeah, wow. yeah right. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I think it's. Uh, a good time, and, and you know, he's an interesting individual, uh, and anybody who knows like Gates of Fire, they'll know the books and, you know, that he does a lot of stuff in that from a historical perspective yep. on, you know, war and warriors and stuff, but it was, uh, he was a former Marine, like yep. myself, in 0311. Okay? 1965. Right, 1965, and, um, you know, he, he just openly said, hey, I really haven't shot a gun Since then. for 50 years, right. you know, so um, it was interesting, and, you know, they... Um, you see, without being ugly, you see the light come on, mm -hmm. you know, like in the sense of like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that, you know. Uh, but um, at the same time, you know, it's like everything, it's a perishable skill when you talk about firearms. And so um, and if you just add to it the fact that it's perishable on its own on your best day, and then add to it, you know, a few years. Um, <laughs> a year or two, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a, no, it was a great was a few really days. Good gig. Yeah, yeah you know? a great few days. And he, he got to look at some stuff as far as um, a, a historical perspective. I think the correct word is martial mm -hmm. arms, sure. like the history. That was great. So we, we covered that, and, and to kind of see the lineage of it was um, interesting. So, I, yeah. And we had some um, good... Good times, like talking about stuff. That was great. You know, yeah, totally. they're it's uh, they're not used to this sort of yeah. thing right. uh, in their normal everyday. So he experience. and I even had good conversations this, some this morning. I mean, he's basically you know one foot in the car and one foot out the door. Yep. But um, just you know, we're just talking about things that you know what makes people do what they do. Are they truly? Because I think there are a lot of words today that are really misused or overused yep. oh yeah hero i heard you guys you know, yeah yeah so i go like okay so did the person jump on the grenade to think that they would be a hero or did they jump on it for their teammates and then are do we define them as a hero afterwards you know what i mean yeah. their act was heroic but i don't i don't know that in those and you've been there uh, and i've been there a long time ago in those very 
very, shall we say, intense moments, you know, with something not going exactly right. We're not losing, but this, is, this could be bad. Um, you know, do people rise to that from training? You know, uh, you know just like uh, I, I talk to people and they go like, all right, do you remember the first book that you wrote? And do you remember the last book that you wrote? And they were the same, but it was different. Yeah. You know, so like, uh, does a person become more heroic if they survive something traumatic? Uh, definitely over most overused terms, especially in the, the sports right. world. Right. Hero right. And, uh, and warrior, when you're right. talking about someone that uh, hits a ball or makes a basket. Um, yeah. you know, it's a, it's For $35 million a year. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hey, oh, that was a heroic shot. Uh, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe it's, not. It was a good shot. I'm sorry, yeah. It was a good shot. You threw, the, you threw the thing a long ways, you know? But. And well, I wanted to ask you a couple things okay. today about um, your experience as far as moving into the Marine Corps, uh, going through boot camp, what happened after that, and, uh, and then where you ended up. So do you remember, do you remember your, uh, your first experience at Marine Corps boot camp? And was it, was it Paris Island? No, I was a Hollywood. So You're Hollywood, Diego, okay. Yeah, San okay. Diego, uh, next to Coronado. I did know that. Yeah, yeah I knew yeah, yeah. that. And yeah. so, because we used to listen to the sailors over on Coronado, <laughs> you could hear them from there. Uh, you know, it was a different time then. So, you know, uh, what year was it? 1967. So I graduated in June of 67. I went in the Marine Corps in September, and um, people go like, "Will you?" I, I got it. Um, my family, you know, they weren't like. Uh, what you call lifers. In other words, they weren't career military, but my dad served in World War II, and my, my dad's dad, my grandfather served in both one and two wow. uh, as far as the wars. And uh, it was just a different time, and we were raised differently. I mean, you know, we were the kind of people that had the American flag flying in the front yard on a pole, yep. you know? And um, so I don't, I, didn't, I don't think about it. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to go to college, Okay, I mean, I knew that. Um, I mean, I kind of made it through high school, sort of, you know, um, and I, um, yeah, I, I, that was just that was the path. That was the deal. You know, and I mean, do you so, remember the first weapon that you did? You had you shot before you got there? Had your dad take? Yeah, you I, we shooting? went hunting as kids, and you know, I used to go with my dad. My dad was a career police officer, like twenty five years, so that he did do a career at. Uh, and I always went with my dad okay. more than the other kids. You know, yeah. uh, my older brother. You know, I go rabbit hunting with him, but um, I used to go with my dad when my dad was a shooter. I mean, he was a shooter, uh, but I used to go with him, and, and uh, we'd go to the police range. And then we would shoot, and I would kind of sit there. Yeah, it's Smith and Wesson six-inch barrel K thirty-eight. And that was was that his? That his was duty? no, that would have been his like competition gun. Okay. And you know, in Bullseye, they had three guns, like a forty-five, uh, a, a thirty-eight, and a twenty-two. Oh, okay. So they shoot three classes, like in Bullseye. At least they did then. I have no idea what they do now. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I had shot, and I, um, you know, absolutely, I remember. You know, so I went there in September. Uh, it was dark, like I think they plan it that way. Uh, you get off the bus, get in yellow footprints, go inside, get your hair cut, um, you know, go inside, open a box, put all your shit in a box, you know, have a label made out, send everything you own. You're kind of standing there butt naked. You know, all the stuff that was civilian is mm -hmm. now gone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and literally tens and tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of people have done it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people can relate to it. I mean, there was yeah. some form of that for you oh, yeah. when you went in the Navy. So Off the a, bus? Same thing. So, and then um, whole thing. Um, you don't really do uh, very much uh, in the beginning except uh, let's run and let's, oh, yeah. yeah, run and, you know, and run. And then, so the first rifle, the, real big, the real big introduction, uh, M14. M14, So that, okay. that's what I uh, started with. That's what I grew up with. Um, that's what I, um, uh, you know, qualified with in the Marine Corps. That's what I uh, carried. I, 
Um, on occasion, uh, someone always tried to issue me an M16, but I later, used, yeah, later, in, like in Vietnam. And so, like, uh, I'd always try to like go, oh, look over there, baby wolf. And then I would get <laughs> an M79, okay. you know, a grenade launcher. And I used a, uh, when I was in cap units, I used a. Uh, M14 with the ANPVS2. Ooh, I want to take a picture of that. Yeah, see what so that like that's was. about as big as the M14 and, how, and weighs about as much. And how far could you see with that? Uh, about across the living room. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, was it didn't awesome. get much better by, yeah. I don't know, 2000 when we had the uh, ANPVS 250, right. I think it was called, right. uh, or KN250, and that thing was pretty big and had a bunch of, I don't know, mirrors right. and refractors in there. Yeah, it right. got you about out to, so, I, don't know, I think like 250 yeah. or so. Yeah, and this thing literally... In the very, very best of conditions, you could probably sort of think you saw something at 100 yards. Right, you couldn't you know, identify yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, could, right. So, yeah. And that wasn't necessarily good or bad, but whatever. So, yeah. But to backtrack, so yeah. like... Um, M14 in boot camp, M14 you qualify. Camp, okay. Um, and then but, where do you go from there? But it's in range, and then in theory, you go, you know, at that time frame, um, you went home for a week or 10 days or something, you know. And, and in 1967, everyone knew where you were going. Yep. You're going one Wasn't going to be a surprise. Yeah, FMS Westpac, which what it was called then. You know, uh, Fleet Marine Force, yep. Westpac, Western Pacific, Vietnam. So, okay, no problem. Um, and um, so I went from there, came home, in theory, go back to what are called staging battalions. So they stage everyone to get ready to go. So there wasn't a advanced infantry type thing? No, I already did that. So like, so boot oh, camp yeah, and boot, then boot camp, ITR. ITR. Uh, that's infantry called. training. Now it's called School of Infantry, I think. Okay. And where was that? SOI. And that Camp Pendleton. Okay. Okay. You know, so you got to climb up the hill and down the hill and up the hill. <laughs> and still M14s. Yeah, still M14s. Nothing changed on that. All About how long was that? So... Can I say a month? Yeah. I, I kind of think so about that's a month ish. Right. I think it was about a month. You go there yeah. and you're doing that yeah, infantry just, tactics. Infantry tactics, you know, they had an improvised sort of what you'd call a, at that time since we were fighting in Vietnam, they had like a Vietnamese village. Okay. They'd have play actors and you're supposed to chase people around in the woods and then run through barbed wire and be crazy. And Had and those instructors been in Vietnam already and come back? I'm pretty sure that most of them had. Okay. okay. From, I vividly remember that my three drill instructors in, in boot camp had all been to Vietnam oh, and, wow. and, and, uh, Two of them had Purple Hearts. Wow. Uh, and there were two E5s, sergeants. And then the senior drill instructor uh, was a gunnery sergeant. Okay. Okay, so you'd have three. So they would be in the daytime mostly working over. Then there'd always be one that had the duty at night, uh -huh. you know, so like to post the fire watch and da 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 oh, da, yes. da So um, boot camp. Um, ITR. And an ITR, it was M14, and did you do M79? Did you do any mortar work? Oh, yeah. Did you do we, we any shot machine gun work? Uh, we shot, at that time, 3.5 rocket launchers. You got to fire a round, a live round. One, one round. You got, you got to uh, turn on a flamethrower, have oh. it strapped on your back and burn stuff up, which was, um, yeah, and most of it was just, you know, like literally, like we shot a pistol, 1911, okay. and it was literally a fan fire. You walked up, guy loaded the magazine, loaded the gun, don't point it at me, point it down there, pull the trigger seven times, great, get out of here. <laughs> next. Yeah, next, yeah, right. So you could say that, yeah, I've seen one. Wow. You know, but that's sort of like I saw a baby wolf, you know, okay. like, well. Same thing, uh, like throw one grenade type thing. Yeah, throw a grenade, yeah. and that was always exciting because, uh, like, <laughs> some, some knucklehead always uh -huh. dropped it in the pit, you know, so oh, everyone bails geez. out. So, uh, but um, then. The machine guns, any M60? Yeah, um, I think we, we got them, loaded it unloaded it but then they started to get into like um um you know uh sort of specialty stuff because when you got out of boot camp 
you would be given your MOS. So like yeah. I was 0311, the Army would be 11 Bravo. Yeah. Uh, 0331 are guns, machine guns. Okay. 0341s, mortars. Okay, mm. so like you'd start to know what your skill set task should be. Right. Okay, you shot all the other stuff as a familiarization, but you will like do that. So, and that, and that was that. And most of it, you know, that was, uh, I'm not saying they rushed you, because I don't know like where are you going. Right. But at the same time, you know, okay, let's get it. Wasn't it wasn't very in-depth. Yeah, yeah, you just get it, and let's get it done, let's get out of the way. Okay. How about tactics-wise? Was it uh, flankings um, and ambushes and anything like yeah, that? Yeah, to some degree. But uh, um, same thing, you know, like in retrospect, um, you know, our deal is always like, hey, okay, I have three days to teach somebody how to shoot a rifle. So I can't really beat them up very much, sure. okay? But then, you know... Um, I, I wasn't necessarily a paying customer, so to speak. You know, you you, you just do what <laughs> right. they tell you. Yeah, right. right. You go do that. So, uh, how about claymores? Did you guys do claymores? Uh, no, 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 mess with those. Okay. okay, that would be then. I know that the guys that were given the MOS for EOD mm-hmm. explosive, those guys they started messing with stuff and messing with stuff. The gun guys, they got guns. The mortar guys got mortars. Okay, okay. and the infantry guys like myself, you just basically got sort of like, okay, here's the flash view of everything, so to speak. Um, but, um, you know, you did that. I went home, came back. Went and back and went home yeah, again. Got yeah, no, week so no, only, only one time. So boot camp, okay. all the ITR, um, go home for a week, come back, uh, and then you to go San to Diego. staging battalions. Um, yeah, and so when you're at staging, staging battalions are actually held at Camp Pendleton. Okay. So the staging was there, and then um, you... Literally, you stand in line, you walk up, and they give you your orders, you know, like FMF Westpac, you know, Smackham, FMF, because everyone's still private. I mean, you might be a PFC or two in there. Okay. Uh, but, uh, and then they, I got to the front, and they go, uh, D-L-I-W-C, yeah. Defense Language Institute, West Coast, yeah. Monterey. Did you know what that was? I had no idea. I even asked the guy, uh, what's that? <laughs> he goes, you're going to language school. And I go, Really? That was my first inkling that the Marine Corps might have <laughs> idiosyncrasies. I'm kind of going like, really? Dude, I don't even speak English right, okay? Oh, you know, no. uh, I mean, I, I took high school, in Spanish in high school, and... and do you remember nope. taking an aptitude test for it? Or did oh, no, they just no, say, well, like, whatever. You. you know, like, I know, now I know, you know, they go, hey, what did you do as a kid? You know, there was some pleasant person there when you first got there, and you kind of go, like, oh, I went hunting with my dad, 0311. Okay. <laughs> I saw a gun once on TV, 0311. Uh-huh. You know I mean? How'd so, they get the language for you? I have no idea. So somewhere in there, some, I must have guessed right three times that. in a row, <laughs> you know. So, but um, anyway, so it was a 90 day wonder course. And of course, it so was up to Monterey. Go, you go yeah, Monterey. So we got like three months in scenic Monterey. Go down to the pier. Yeah, you know, not look bad. At, look at the Coast Guard boats. Look at the hoochie coochie girls. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, in retrospect, it was a total waste of the government's money for ninety days. Because and it wasn't that you did or didn't. You know what I mean? I I found a piece of paper the other day. It says I got like eighty five percent when I graduated. Nice. So whatever. But uh, um, the interesting part was. It was a total waste of money because you were taught 
social speaking. Like, hey, Jack, would you like to come to, you know, uh, hey, Bob, would you like to come to dinner? Right. You know, instead of New Yen, would you like, you know? And so that's not what you needed. What you needed was move the machine gun over here, shoot the shit out of everything that moves, you know? And so. Yeah, that was still a problem in 2007 when I went and they right. sent me for French right. because they thought I was going to go to North Africa, West Africa and do right. a couple things. And those are former French colonies. Right. Uh, and I got to those, I did actually go and I had an interpreter with me the whole time. So the, the six months plus the, the month to get there and the month to leave kind of right. on either side of it, that right. was also a waste of the government's money. And also we did not learn those things that we needed to know no, about right. here. This rifle, this, that, move yeah. that over here. Those things we didn't learn. From what I've, the people that I've talked to who went to language school, that seems to be a pretty generalized mm -hmm. theme. In other words, uh, it was okay, but I didn't learn whatever. So, got a few months in Monterey. Yeah, so start. three right. months in Monterey, you know, the scenic on the beach kind of thing. And, and then uh, literally uh, we um, left right from Monterey, went to El Toro, El Toro, uh, went to Okinawa, stayed at Okinawa like two weeks. Um, and are you with the guys now that you're going to be in no, country with? Or you're uh, just kind of... Because you remember that's like, now we're starting to talk uh, the first quarter of 68 that you're getting ready to go in. So there's no workup. You're not going to no, see. No. So you know the guys to your right and nope, left, and nope, you've done this nope, training nope, together. You're nope. just going. You're in. going. Baptism the guy by on fire. your right or left is a Marine. And remember, that was during Tet. So casualties are really high. Mm. A lot of killed, a lot of wounded, a lot of disorganization, a lot of disruption of units. So the deal with it was is I simply got plugged in. You know, so like mine was simple. I just got out of language school, remember? So like when I got there, um, you know, they give you your thing and you get on a C-130 and they fly you to um, Quang Tri. Okay. Right at the north, very north, That's northern north. part okay. of Vietnam, right? Because the Marines were in the north, is that? Normally okay. I-Corps and you know, there was some stuff there. So in my first, uh, I was 0311 Infantry. My first uh, unit was uh, my company, 33, 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines, 3rd Marine Division. So Mike 33. So, um, so you get off that plane and there's somebody you get off the plane at uh, the C-130. Um, you know, there's a gunnery sergeant there, uh, all you guys. Okay. And then they take you as they heard. And then when they get there, okay, you're going to Mike company, you're going to India company, you know, like everybody from left of my hand is going to Mike. Everybody right of my hand is going to India. You know I mean? It's just that kind of, there wasn't anything. You go to the company clerk, you know, name ranks, your own number, blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, um, kind of shuffle, they shuffle papers around. You Do you go, have a weapon at this point? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. And so then um, somewhere in that first couple of days, they take you and you go to the armory, you get a rifle. The first rifle they gave me was the M16. We walk out to the range, put the magazine in, load the gun, pull the trigger, it won't fire. Wow. Take the safety off, which it was already off, but it still doesn't fire. Put it in full auto, it doesn't fire. Wow. I kind of go like, you know. Do you have an M14? Kind of, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And so like, uh, they go, oh, don't worry about it. We'll get you another one. So they, <laughs> we go get one. and yeah, Were bang. they surprised that it didn't work? Or uh, they like, oh, here's another one? No. Nah, I uh, didn't work. Wow. You know, I mean, Marines were, in my opinion, the Marines were never impressed with the M16. Yeah. I mean, if you would have fought the Vietnam War, like when they went in in 65 on Operation Starlight, that was the first big 
you know, like Rainbow unit thing, right. Um, everybody there was M14s, okay? That, that was, I mean, if you look back at yeah, photographs, photos, yeah. everybody's getting off the boat with M14. And those were actually units that went as a unit. So you okay. and I would have known each other at Camp Pendleton. We train you know, up we together. Went, yeah, right. So in other words, that was actually, I'm thinking I'm more of like a replacement okay. plug-in. Yeah. You know, like, so that's kind of what we were. And so like, um, okay, great, new M16. Okay, bang, thank God. That know. works. Okay, awesome. Don't put it in full auto. Waste ammunition. Perfect. I got that. You know, okay, great. So we go back and sit down, and we're there. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's about a um, week, 10 days into it. Yeah. And a uh, gunnery sergeant comes in one day. It's like, we'll say 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Get all your shit. You're going now. Your unit's in contact. Okay? They need people. I go like, uh, really? So it wasn't like, hey, let's have a beer before we go. Get on the bird. Off you go. So the first LZ that I went in. And, uh, and you're getting on the helos now. Yeah, right. So now we're in Chinooks. You're in Chinooks. Okay. Right. And uh, uh, C-47 is the Maroon. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, the, that version. Got so it. the two-bladed yep. crash and burn lawn darts. Okay, so and they go, uh, yeah, get in the thing. Yeah, great, no problem. So... The LZ that we went in on was reasonably warm. Uh, our guys are kind of in an open area rice paddy. There's some tree lines around. The rounds are coming. Uh, they come in. When they come in, uh, they kick us off. They kick ammo off. Uh, they bring four people and put them on the bird. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. Dead wounded. Bags, yeah. yeah. And a couple of the guys, and off the bird goes. So, like, someone goes, get down. Okay, and I go like, okay, good idea. So <laughs> I go over, and uh, I remember the guy really well. Um, he was a corporal of Marines. His name was Jose. And he said, like, uh, you're in my fire team. Get down here. He said, take this. Do you know how to use this? And I go, hell yeah. He gave me M79. Okay. That was the last time I saw an M16. Wow. I just kind of poof, over the, you know, like, we yeah. didn't leave it laying there. Right. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, got it. No problem. Yeah, and okay. then um, we stayed there for a while. and Like a while, like days? No, like uh, about another hour and change. But before the hour is over, um, they kind of brought the bell of the ball there. So we had two F4 Phantoms come in. Nice. It was my first time seeing close air. Okay. And you, you know you've been there. And I'm not being ugly about anybody else, but Marines fly really close, and they really fly close for Marines. Awesome. So it was the first time that I saw them. The fans came in. Uh, they, you could kind of see them before you hear them. No delay bombs. Mm. The, I call them umbrella bombs. Okay. And so, like, it was really weird because we everybody goes, put out your air panels, put out your air panels. And I go, I don't have an air panel. Okay, like, which I got one, like, the next day. Okay. okay. But, and that's, so that's just the same big, thing that we have, a yeah, colored. Yeah, colored panel. Mm, stuck it on a dike, chunk of rock. Hunter Orange. On a, yeah, Hunter Orange. Shoot at me. Orange. Yeah. <laughs> we put the panels out. Uh, everybody goes, like, okay, get your heads down. Here it comes. And you could hear them before you could see them. Wow. Uh, they were there before you actually got the idea that they were there. Yeah. And I remember rolling over and looking back and you could see them release the bombs like over wow. there. You kind of go, uh, <laughs> that's looks- a bit short, <laughs> except that the umbrella comes out, you know, the four spinners. Wow, okay, and I've seen then, pictures of that. So it goes over. Yeah, Okay. Wow. The bombs go over. Jeez. You can feel the jets, the afterburners. I didn't actually, wasn't smart enough. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm like, 18 going on 19. I wasn't smart enough to know what the heat was. 
you know, I'm kind of going, oh, here comes hell, you know, like whatever, whatever flashes to your head when you're sort of dumb. And, yeah. and so they went over, whacked in the tree line. Wow. Um, you know, they, they fly off and we kind of lay there for a little bit and they kind of go, okay, everybody get up, get online, we're going into the tree line. So you go in there and it's a cluster fornication. I mean, those bombs, they jack shit up. Okay, it's just like whole shit, everything's shredded. Okay, stinks yeah. really bad. Okay, I think. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's the ordinance, you know, like the... Combination of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, stayed there. So, this is my one really bad Clint story. So, we get in a hole. I get in a hole. We're there. And um, it gets dark. And you know what I mean. When you can put your hand out, but you can't see it. Yeah. That's dark. Oh, yeah. Okay, that dark. You've been there. Oh, yeah. Okay. And is it triple canopy? Right? So you're, you're no, this out. is kind of open still in the plane. Okay. So, we're basically... Uh, west of Quang Tree before you actually get into so, and we're east of um, the rock pile. So we're in an area around what's called Camlo. Okay. And so we were there and just kind of in the jungle. And um, the guy goes, like, Dude, I'm get, I gotta get some sleep. I go, like, Okay, cool. So you're on watch. Yeah. He goes, like, uh, wake me up. Here's my watch. Wake me up. Okay, 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 cool. And each, each smaller maneuver element had their own watch? Or are you guys with... No, 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 no. We were online. Okay. And so everybody dug in. And then, so, like, you're online. And then they basically, they don't put out um, LPs. They okay. don't want anybody forward. Okay. So Because they're really not sure what is that. We're kind of online. And then they kind of turn the ends in, from what I remember. Okay. Okay, so that yep. you kind of don't get sort of flanked, so to speak. Yep. And then uh, they did put LPs behind us, okay, which would kind of make sense. Uh, listing posts, yep, uh, which is actually yeah, that's about all you do. And uh, so all the stuff that everyone knows that's been so you're, there. So you're yeah. on watch, yeah. So I'm on watch, and so like I'm with my guy, and the time goes by, and I go, hey, dude. And he goes like, hey, watch a little bit longer. I'm tired. I go, okay, cool. And essentially, Good. you're just listening because just listening. You, can't you can't see, see anything. Shit. There's no okay. night vision. No, There's no, no nothing. No night vision. No, we own the nights. Okay, none of that shit, which I still laugh at when people say that dumb shit. Like, hey, we own the <laughs> night. No, 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 okay. So this is where I made my first decision. About whatever time it was, however dark it was, I heard something in front of me. I knew it was the right direction that it shouldn't be making noise. So I decide to, by the way, not very many people know this uh, at all, okay? So like this is, I'm doing this because wow. we're friends. So like I'm there and I kind of go like, oh, fuck. So I go, hey, dude, I think there's, oh yeah, okay, okay, uh, okay. Uh, dude, I think that, no, uh, uh, okay, it's okay. I go like, all right, uh, that, okay, that's it, I've had it. I'm literally about to shit myself. So I just pull out a frag, pull the pin, chunk the shit out of this bitch. My best Wyoming, what the hell, okay, and hopefully I didn't say anything. No, good. Okay, and it lands and goes off. And then everybody online opened up. Okay, and I got all my tax money in that next minute that I've ever paid and American ammunition, because everyone shot the shit out of everything in front. And people go, that's very, not very tactical. I got it, okay? So then the next thing, when they got everyone to stop, because, you know, it's what Marines do. They shoot shit, okay? It's just the way it is, okay? So when they got everyone to stop, um, 
Then somebody who was the gunnery sergeant came down and go, who threw that fucking grenade? And I go, oh, this doesn't sound good. So I go like, um, not me. <laughs> so I kept the grenade ring for like three months in my pocket. No one ever knew? No one ever knew. It was me. Okay, so like the dude, of course, when the thing went off, the guy is sleeping, he jumps straight up, you know, and he's like, pow, 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 you know, right. and you're like, wow. And people go, that's not very good fire discipline. You know, that all depends on whether or not you've ever been there before. Exactly. You know, it's easy for people to go, well, you know, real man, hey, you knew you got an e-tool and went out there. No, what? a real man would no. have been there. He would have been at home in the back seat with a girl of like a car he was just buying until he got drafted. Well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Those are> <laughs> so, uh, and I, uh, you can ask Heidi, I, I very rarely ever tell that, but because it oh. sort of sounds chicken shitty. No, it doesn't. But I kind of go like, hey, man, you know, uh, dude, I, I'm 18. I, I mean, yeah, it's uh, a lot of responsibility. You know, I, I, what was out there? Uh, nothing. Or whatever it was, it got blown up and shot. Okay, so we did. We did the next day. uh, We did the next day. Get up when it was daylight, and we went through. And there were people there, but they, I believe, were killed by the airstrike the day before. You know, and like, um, so that was my first visual on dead bodies. You know, like in the sense of like dead bodies. Um, Nothing spectacular in dead bodies. Dead bodies, they're dead bodies. They just don't have life anymore. And then we came out the other side, went in a rice paddy. Again, we went across open paddies. And then that's where I saw a second bunch, um, quite a few actually, uh, probably 25 or 30-ish, I'd guess, dead bodies. And then we went in to join up with our sister, no, our company's sister platoons. Okay. So like we were, I'm thinking, oh, I know exactly. First squad, first platoon, okay. Nice. You know, first fire team, first squad, first platoon, Mike 333. Right, okay. So Do you remember your mission? Um, they tell you, here's your here's your mission. This is what we're doing here. No, we're going here's out the there. commander's intent. No, I'm not, no, dude, I, I was a private. So no Actually, one ever, I was a PFC then. Uh, no. So never explained no, no, any of no, that. No, no, we just get online, stay online, don't do nothing stupid, and like go whatever. Wow. So, uh, not we like went, we're here to clear this no, no, hamlet, no, this so, province. Uh, do so nothing. it was interesting when we got to this place, um, they needed to move us somewhere, so they brought in Amtrak's. Okay. And Amtrak is a tracked gasoline bomb. Okay. So, like, you can always tell when things are bad. When you go like, okay, great, Amtrak's I rode in, they lower the thing, you get inside, they don't lower the thing. The whole roof is covered in sandbags. Wow. When the door comes open, if you have anything heavy like ordnance, you set it inside, which I thought later on wasn't bright, but the whole floor is covered in two layers of sandbags. Then we all got on the roof. Oh, wow. That way if it hits something, yeah, right. So uh, we did that, and then I do remember getting off and... Um, the I think they call them in your world maybe CBUs, the cluster bombs. Yep, I, yeah, think yeah. We, I think we were still using those when I first got to the teams, right. I think. So like when we got off and all these dead bodies were there, there were undetonated CBUs around. So they're going like, yo, new guy, don't kick that. Kind of like, uh, okay. So that's something you learn very quick in Vietnam, never kick anything. Oh, yeah. Like walk down a road, kick a Coke can, which there's an American Boom. kid alive walking down the street today who walks by a Coke can that's empty that won't kick it. I bet. And they wired them all. Everything was wired. So, um, so the next day I saw the first Marine get killed, but I, uh, but I didn't. If you, so here's how I, that's, um, are we still yeah. good with this? Oh, yeah. Still want to go on this track? Yep. So we're walking along. 
and it's bright sunny day, everything's good. We're still on the patties, tree line here or there. You know, you got flankers out. Now we're actually doing military stuff. You know, you have- And you're learning as you go. Yeah, we have a wedge. Oh, I mean, I knew what a wedge was. Okay. And I knew what flankers out was, and I knew I didn't want to be the guy on the flank. That's really, and fortunately, I got to stay with my squad leader because I have the grenade launcher. Because mm. in those days, the grenadier still stayed with the squad leader. It wasn't like everyone had a 203. Okay. So in theory, the squad leader would run the three fire teams, and then the grenadier would stay with okay. the squad leader. The squad leader would designate targets for the okay. fire teams. You know, and then you'd have bounding go forward, bounding go forward, bounding go forward. And I don't know why I remember all this shit, but I yeah. do. So, like, anyways, we were just walking along, and then there's this whomping big explosion. I mean, just whoop, whoop, you know, and you just, like a shockwave one where you kind yeah. of like a Bose commercial. And I remember seeing then... Okay, or later, whatever, something go through the air, and, and you know, okay, great, this is a bomb. So everybody gets down, everybody faced outboard, you know, everybody, okay, you start digging in, get covered, what's going on? We're out kind of in the open again, which we think we'd have learned our lesson from two or three days, of, yeah, but not, you get it? So, like, um, then we start, okay, what was it? Who did it? Where are they? Okay, and so we count off by fire teams, you know, fire team guy checks his four. This fire team, that fire team, squad's okay, squad leader's okay, grenadier's okay, my guys are good, that squad's okay, you tell the second squad, blah, 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 blah. so, uh, no disrespect, okay? So, like... And each squad had a radio guy? Uh, no, no radios in those days. The platoon so would have guy, a radio. One platoon, right, one radio right, for one platoon. Right, right. So, prick 25. Okay. Okay, so, like, uh, they go through a cat count. Everybody's accounted for. And they go, like, hmm... So they go back and do it again. That's typical of the Marines, you know, one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one, okay? And so now we come up short, the radio man for our FAC, mm -hmm. which I didn't know what that was then, right. forward air controller. Yep. So he was actually a Marine aviator, I found out, mm. okay? But his radio operator had either stepped on it or was command detonated on it because of the radio. Because remember, in our radios, the whip's real high. Yeah. So that's why, you know, like... And I can't help myself, and I'm just telling the story now because we're friends yes. for decades. Yesterday, when we were doing our little demos and stuff, uh -huh. okay, and when you move, you move with your rifle muzzle up. And so I go, okay, you're six foot tall. You just made yourself nine foot tall in a fight. Oh, when I turned and ran back. Yeah, yeah I didn't yeah, have yeah, enough yeah. on the muzzle. So, and I get it. Yeah. And I, so I always kind of, so I go like, uh, because uh, the always I think, and I remember when I taught baby cops, I go, dude, don't get behind the car and hold your rifle up if you're moving behind the car because like you look like a German U-boat and you're telling people where you are. It's already bad enough that we're big six foot guys, but now we're like being even bigger. So the deal with it was, is like they may have walked down the Ho Chi Minh Trail, but they figured out right away who put the phantom up their ass. Right. Okay. Yeah, so radio, radio operators were really marked. Okay. So like, yeah. you know, uh, like my... High school friend that was killed, uh, Steven Steinbacher. Mm -hmm. uh, he was with 1-9, um, and he was um, killed being a radio operator and shot through the head, uh -huh. as most of them were. Okay? Yeah, just targeted. So, yeah, just targeted. They're right just the literally, I mean, everything swings there. Cause, radio first you know, that and then one, uh, Yeah, that one thing next. is, yeah, right. So the deal with it is, is you like, you know, you like, um, you stop that communications link, and so then that's what they're after. So, um, uh, so yeah, I, uh, and this yeah. is this is your day two, really. Yeah. So, anyways, it was that guy, and so what I we figured out later on, because like you know the new guy goes like, hey, um, 
I saw something fly over there. So they go look, and of course it's the guy's boot. When they found the boot, then they found his dog tag, because we always put a dog tag on our boot. Yeah. And it just happened to be the dog tag boot. Wow. And then, then you know, the, the pilot, the fat guy, figures out, hey, my guy's gone, you know, which I think he did earlier. But he wasn't, you know, like, is he over here with these guys kind of digging a hole? Or, you know, like, okay, great, he actually is gone, like, vaporized. There's nothing to pick up, nothing to theoretically send home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and, and, and I know you've seen renditions of that. So, um, yeah, and then... Um, and then the mission changed. I mean, you didn't know what the mission really was. No, they basically, plan, in those then, days, they would have called it like search and destroy, or they called okay. it, I'm, I'm, they called it sweeps. Okay. So you would do a sweep on an area and stuff like that. And so, and then I, you know, I stayed in the DMZ. We went all the way up into the triple canopy jungle and that really sucked. And you're patrolling and then you're happy. Where are you staying? Yeah, the deal with it is, it's jungle. like you can be in the bush and I've done it before. You can be in that stuff and literally, you know, you'll see them on TV and I'm not being disrespectful, but it's Hollywood. So they have to fill the frame. You know what I mean? Like, so they got to see four or seven, eight or nine guys moving. Well, literally, if you started out in the morning, once you got out of the hole, we always filled our holes. Okay, um, and we've been known on occasion to fill the holes and leave something a little extra in there, like a grenade with a pin pulled out, like underneath the can of sea rats, because they would come back in. The NBA would dig mm -hmm. the holes back up and see what we left behind. Right. Okay. Because Marines also are lazy. If they can figure out a way to get rid of a piece of heavy ordnance oh, yeah. without having to carry it, they will. That's a typical grunt, you know, like a chunk that mortar tube. Oh, I must have fell off my pack. Yeah. You know, so, Still the same today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, yeah, so we went into the triple, triple canopy, and I, I don't like that at all. You could get up in the morning. Once you filled the holes, you could walk all day long, which I'm sure we didn't go very far, maybe a mile or two in that shit. No flankers out. Because you can't, you'll lose them. Lose them like gone. go across the living room, they're gone. Yeah. Uh, and you would see the guy in front of you and the mm -hmm. guy in back of you, and you wouldn't know that you was. You would be you three, Larry, Curly, and Mo. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're there, and as far as you know, everyone else went home to the mall. Yep. You, don't you, you have them. no idea. Okay. And then at the end of the day, you sort of gather back up a little bit. Okay trying to avoid the one grenade will get you all, which isn't the grenade, uh, the mortars. They're really good at mortars. Yeah. And so I, mortar-wise, I'll give you, in, so I have a friend of mine uh, who's passed now, Major Tom Silver, uh, landed at Incheon. Wow. Uh, he was hit once in Korea by mortar fire. And he said the Koreans and the Chinese were absolutely punks with mortars. He said the Vietnamese, they'll mortar your ass. So he served two tours in Vietnam, wounded both times in Vietnam, Okay, almost lost his leg on the second one, both times mortar fire. Really? So when we were up north, they were really good with mortars. Yeah. Okay? They are really good with mortars. And people go like, well, you know, like you're glorifying. I'm not glorifying anything. Before they fought us, they fought the French. Before they fought the French, yeah. they fought the Japanese. Some of those guys had been at war for 30 years, yeah. going on 40, you know? And so like you had freaking 55, 60-year-old guys tromping around in the jungle, you know, like who had been doing it for a lifestyle. Yeah. And now you have an 18-year-old putz who's chucking hand grenades in the dark. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> well, did yeah. you guys, when you're making those movements, did you have a designated point man in or did the theory, point man Yeah, the point man, and yeah. The point man should rotate and he would rotate. So you'd go with the point man and then you'd go through the squad. Okay. And so everybody would, got a, cha yeah, a chance right. to do. Well, the idea was it wasn't so much a chance, but it was a chance to catch your breath. Yeah, because yeah. if you're, you're really on point, when you're on point in that, you're not on point. You're just a guy out in front with a machete. Oh, okay. And you're just cutting a hole 
to go. Did through. you dual point? Did you have somebody doing that uh, and somebody right yeah, behind him or uh, anything? Yeah, well, the guy behind him usually. And when we did it, generally there'd be three guys that kind of stayed really close to the front, so they would re rotate and they carried 3.5 rocket launcher bazookas, hot. Okay. In the tube, wired up, ready to go. Then they'd have a bag man and another guy, and then they would trade off carrying the gun and then the ammo between the three of them. Because the idea was is if you make contact front, okay, normally you'd want guns up, but the problem is you can't see anything in the guns. I mean, like in the sense of what am I shooting at? Yeah. So the bazooka would go forward. You know, anybody like who would remotely figure out where something was coming from, uh -huh. they just launch that bazooka there. Just, and it didn't matter. It was crazy bastards. Like, if it's 15 yards in front of you, they would chunk the thing there. Okay? And you just kind of go like, uh, that's pretty close. <laughs> and the M79s, mm -hmm. awesome, but not in triple canopy. Yeah. Did you they, have those, what, the flechette rounds or things like yeah, that? Yeah, but or? the worthless HE primarily. Yeah. But it rotates a nominal 12 times yeah. the arms. Yeah. And it doesn't go very far in 12 revolutions. No. So you're a lot of times eating your own stuff. Yeah. So you had to be careful. So like uh, what I did as I got a little bit smarter, I learned to look for openings in the trees, like up, yep. and I would try to throw them up and have it come back down and then detonate like an airburst. Okay. And if you could get direct fire, like, you know, I see something and I can put it through that hole, but then, you know, they're sort of a trajectory weapon anyways, not a line of sight weapon. Oh, yeah. I was the comm guy. So yeah, I yeah. got uh, yeah, the yeah. pre-September 11th days, I was doing that right. quite a bit. Right. So but, that's, uh, did you have a shotgun guy in, in there anywhere? Um, usually the staff sergeant, the gunnery sergeants, they carry shotguns. Okay. Okay. But I think it was more because it looked cool. Okay. And they're effective. Do you remember what you they know, were? Were they the Ithacas? Uh, Ithacas and... Uh, I still had Winchester 97 trench guns. Oh, wow. So those were like old guns. Those Getting were, the money's worth out World, of those. World War II guns, yeah. That's and amazing. I didn't see a lot of Winchesters, but I remember seeing them because it always freaked me out that they'd carry it with the... As I got older, it freaked me out. When, at the time, I was too stupid. But they would carry it, okay, with a, a hammer down on the live round. Of course, it's an inertia firing pencil. Bad idea if you tripped or fall. Okay. okay it's you in theory, what you and I would do if we did it today, we'd put it on half cock. Okay. okay? Yeah, but the problem with that is in the middle of the shitstorm, you got to reach up and remember. cock. Yeah, you got to remember. <laughs> yeah, you got to get it to go where the other one's up. And I'm not, you know, I um, absolutely be, if we, if we went plaque and plate video, it'd be absolutely terrifying to see gun control. I mean, like a muzzle control. I mean, you know, like, you could, like, dude, you just like walk, you know, a click uphill with <laughs> triple can. You're just like, I'm trying to stay alive here. Yeah. So that went on for a while. And making a longer story shorter than I just like helicopter landed one day and they go like Smith two three eight three seven two nine get your butt on the bird went on the bird flew back to Quang Tree they go like hey great we're reassigning you okay great and then we send you to Da Nang okay I go to Da Nang I get there you go and we see that you've been to Army Language Census School uh, and so you speak Vietnamese and I kind of go uh. <laughs> English? 85%. Okay. Yeah, 85% were. And so <laughs> then uh, I got picky. And so what we did was, same thing, um, the first guy I met and that kind of was buddied up with was a guy named Doug Bader. And he was actually, actually was an American Indian. Oh, he no, was from the Carolinas. He was a Cherokee. Wow. So like, um, and that, he, yeah, he was. You know what I mean? Not like everyone else today goes, oh yeah, I, I have some Indian blood in me. No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> Do a DNA thing. You're a Russian. Okay? Like, yeah, whatever. So anyway, so, you so, yeah, so we we got uh, grouped together because we were replacing 
a cap unit that had been wiped out during Tet. So they put 12 of us together, Larry Curley, Mo, Jerry, and Steve, you know, and off you go. Off you go, and okay, great, go here. This is where they all were. This is where they all got killed. This is the gate that's blown up. We're not doing this anymore. So we're making the cap units mobile. Okay. Because Because they were living in the villages at that point uh, already? Or? They didn't live in the village. They lived right outside the village. Okay. So there'd be like a, a, a compound, barbed wire, bunkers, sandbags, oh, okay. mortar pit, you know, like whatever. But the idea was that was kind of their... The problem village. with it was is the villages are probably what got the Marines killed during Tet because that way the people will say the, the other guys, mm-hmm. not necessarily the bad guys, which we discussed, the other guys got really close and so they were able to breach the wire and get them and you know how that goes it could have been no one knew Tet was coming that's why you know they completely t- I mean if we had known they were going to take over way we would have yeah. stopped it okay so like yeah um, so we just went into these and then the, the cap units they go like okay uh, we lost too many so we're going to make you mobile so you stay right in the village in the daytime and at night you run we generally would run two ambushes we split the 12, okay. you, were never, you were never without another Marine. So yep. the smallest common denominator was two, be me and you, yeah. okay? And then we might have two or three or four Vietnamese with us, which we generally, after a while, picked uh, kind of the Vietnamese we wanted. Yeah. You know, oh, you yeah. kind of Things, figure out which guy. Not much has changed. Well, you remember what I told you about indigenous troops, okay? Yeah. Normal, don't trust any of them, yeah. okay? So like, whatever. And then, uh, so we would start in a certain place. As it became dark, we'd go to a certain point. We would stop. We'd split. We'd go to certain points. We and these predetermined ambush points yeah, based pretty off much. intel or based off, hey, no, there's a trail here? On, based on dominating that area of operations. Okay. In other words, we're trying to... So if you ever look at cap units, and most people, but anyways... There's the book The Village. There's a... There's a, a in, in that area where we were at Hoi An, there was a minimum and maximum launch range for the 122 rockets. Since we were next to and guarding Da Nang, so to speak, these belts ran on tactical maps from South China Sea to South China Sea. Da Nang's in the middle. This is where they can launch them from. They got to be here or here, okay? They put the cap units right in there. They bracketed them. We butt up. So our tactical area of operations would butt up one uh, basically area. And generally an area was about um, two clicks. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes smaller based on whether there was a river. So yeah. ours was a little smaller because there was a river that ran through, which was actually probably more dangerous than not having it because okay. rivers are mobility, relatively yeah, yeah. quiet. People sure. can cross them. So like whatever. So uh, we did that and um, um, uh, yeah. And so it was pretty much a happy meal. We'd do the two ambushes. Everybody would stay cool. And then what you do is just... Um, and you'd initiate them with, uh, with what? Do you remember? Yeah, usually claymores. Okay. We had this. So now really, you had the claymore. Yeah, we. Guys. Oh, yeah. We now. Now, when you're in the cap units, you're in the big league. Okay. By that I mean we go to our company headquarters, which was at Hoi An. The captain was there, mm-hmm. and then there'd be like a you know like a staff sergeant or a gunnery sergeant there. So that was the base. But you would go there when we got there. I mean, like um, you basically, of course, they, you had to give all your weapons back to your parent unit when you left. So okay. like when I left Quang Tree, okay. after I left my company, I turned my rifle in got and it. I went to, so when I got, so they go like, when you get to Da Nang, we go, you got a gun? Don't worry. It's like that line and everybody thinks they invented it. Okay. If it's a big fight, you'll find a gun. You know that one. Okay. So like it was, uh, so when we got to Hoi An, uh, we get there, Captain, you know, like Vogelsang, big German guy. 
Um, he like command Marines, and now you're actually being treated a little bit more like Marines rather than children. Even probably that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, but he opens his door, and there's this room, man, and there's like World War Three in there. Yeah. Man, you pick a gun. I mean, that was like... What did you grab? M14? So like, uh, actually in the beginning I grabbed, because they didn't actually have one then, I got an M79 again. Okay. Okay. So I had a 1911. Sidearm too? Uh, yeah, I had a 1911. And it was, I probably was more threat to myself than anybody else. Because uh, I absolutely knew nothing about like that in the context that we're wow. talking. Yeah. Dad's plinking, you know, with 22 okay. pistols. Yeah. So I got an M79. That's cool. Um, and everybody got what they wanted. And then... Um, um, they even had a 57 recoilless in there, nice. which is shoulder fired. So we, on occasion, would go like take it and just take it out and if you got something you didn't like. Because it was kind of a surprise package. You know, someone would chuck a grenade at you at night, you'd throw a 57 HE <laughs> back at them. Yeah. And it's, so, like, yeah. So we, we weren't cowboys, but you could have a tendency to be cowboy ish. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because, like, and um, to clarify a point here, which is a lot of stupid people don't get. When we went into the villages, our job there was to protect the people, okay? We would run. So to, now they've told you your mission. Here's yeah, your we, mission. we have a mission now. So our mission is to harass, interdict, okay, and make contact if possible, okay? Um, so that's the deal. You're in there to stop them from getting in to launch those rockets on the airbase. That's your job. Got it. And to protect your village. And it was truly hearts and minds, and this is what I mean by that. Um, so we would protect them with that harvest of rice. We would guard the rice, okay, until it was like properly put wherever they wanted to put it, okay, so that they, we were, so we're cutting off food okay. from the enemy, to okay? The enemy. You're cutting off movement, right? And so then what we would do is ambushes at night, come back to the village in the daytime, Never in the same place, always change. Okay. Sometimes split into two like groups, which are now not really fire teams because it's usually like six guys and six guys or five guys and five guys or, you know what I'm well, saying? Well, that's who you're going out with. That's, that's my Marines. And then a couple. So those guys were like, well, okay, you, you, and you, you're going to go to the east end of the village. Yeah. Okay. okay. You guys set, up, set there. up there. Then what we would do is as people would walk through on the roads, you would run ID checks. Okay. Who are you? Where are you going? Where are you from? Show me your papers. Yeah. Okay. I don't know you. What are you doing in my village? Right. And you'd have Indigo there with you. Yeah. Doing speaking the Vietnamese and then half of it, you know, like, um, you know, by now you're speaking Vietnamese. So you got all the, you know, the really good stuff, you know, put yeah. your hands up, you know, right. uh, show me your papers. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. same as in Iraq. You figured it out after a while. Afghanistan, same thing. So. Were you guys on when you set up in those ambushes? Do you remember you were online or L? Online L's, and we actually ran circular ones. Okay, so like the idea is like we had, and you never set the same place every night. You always go. So a favorite place, for example, was there was a cemetery. So you would set up just like inside in a circle. Okay, which sounds weird, but um, not okay. Because the problem with linears, it always sounds really good and it's all tactical. But I can tell you, okay, from personal experience, no matter which way you're facing, it's Maybe the, the wrong, wrong way. way. <laughs> okay. So circle, then you can face everything. Face everything, and then would you shift when you saw them coming down or when they initiated with the no? Basically, you want to hold the ground where you are until the contact is basically made and then resolved. And then we were big on jumping up and going. I mean, everybody, I got it, you know, move through, okay. And it's dark, dude. Okay. You have no idea. There's, we'll say, there's 10 Marines. So you're there with 10 Marines and 50 in Vietnamese. Um, you're there with 10 people. 
So you guys light it up and then well, out of there? You had to kind of encourage people to shoot. And most of the time, uh, if you made contact, you could break contact. And the circular ones we anticipated we would hold. So we always had air, like uh, puffs on call. Uh, nice. And okay. of course, the Air Force, the Air Base, took really good care of us because they knew the cap units were keeping the rockets off of them. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you called yeah. for air, they basically they just came off the ground, wheels up, and they're over you. Wow. I mean, that's how quick. So like, you, if they had a bird like in a ready, then you'd, you'd get stuff really good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and the most I've ever seen, uh, you know, I have, uh, you, I told you, and I don't mean anything about it, okay? It's just that uh, there was a time when I made a poor decision and I got an enemy marksmanship award. And is that, that, is that this, this deployment here? Yeah. Yeah. And so towards the end, I, I only got like uh, two weeks to go. Two weeks to go. And so, like. Uh, so, you've been here for how long at this point? Uh, Almost a year? Going on over a year, going on. Over a year. Yeah. Like, Marine tours were 13 months. Okay. Armies were 12. Okay, so like a typical Marine Corps. Was exactly. Long month. Yeah, right. So like um, um, that particular incident, which is- Two weeks know, ago. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I got a little scrap, some stuff flew around. You know, I got dinged a little bit, but it was, was awesome. It on patrol? Uh, actually, we were in an ambush. You were initiating we, it? We sprung it. Okay. Okay, and that was cool, except the ambush, when you talk about linear, we had, they would do, we would set up, a, this ambush was a linear. The idea with a linear ambush, okay, in my mind's eye for what we did is they would have what they would call uh, KT's killer teams, whatever, okay, another fancy name. You would take generally two Marines and one or two Vietnamese, trustworthy, and you would go out and look for trouble. Okay. Then you would start trouble. So four then, guys. Right, and then you would come back, uh, hopefully with everyone communicating properly. Yes. Okay, and see if they were stupid enough to follow, which they usually did. Would you leave a stay behind, like Claymore time fuse or anything like that? I did on occasion. So, you know what I'm saying? A lot of times, we generally didn't leave unfired ordnance on anything because you always ate it later. Or if you're running back, did you put have a Claymore? Yeah, sort of like a John Wick thing. You know, I guess yeah. you could chunk something, okay. But it's, you know, again, it's a little bit more... I've seen two rows of claymores and that particular one, they set it off on the riverbank and it had 30 in one daisy chain. And then we went back about 50 yards and set another row of 20. Oh, and then we went back because we were getting a lot of movement on the river. So like as they came ashore with boats to bring people in ordnance, okay, we fired the first bank really loud uh, yeah. or ran back. Okay, and by now there's this cluster fornication as and they're trying the to one, get out of the boat. Is this the, is this no, the I didn't get the tag on that one. So, okay. the, so anyways, we were out on this thing. I find a wire going across the rice paddy. So this is the deal, okay? So this is the lesson for anybody listening. And don't cut stuff if you don't know what it is. So we cut the wire, not a problem, because it's a calm wire. You it's know, four of you guys. Wind. Yeah, and we go, okay, what does this wire do? So as Marines, you pull on it. Oh, Okay, because you can, you know, you can, we tracked it down to know okay. this, like, like it's, here's a claymore sitting right here. No, okay. we're not that dumb. So we get the <laughs> wire, we send, we go out like 20, 25 yards on each end of the wire, staying low. Okay, it's not hooked to anything. Great. So we come back together and we start pulling on the wire. Mm, bad idea. 
As it turns out later on, we're probably dealing with a platoon of North Vietnamese, okay, led by indigenous or local people, and they had split into two groups and were on either side of the tree line and used the black wire for calm because they were talking to each other, okay? And they oh, were wow. hauling rockets. So when we pulled the wire, we pulled the phones, we pulled the phones, they got belligerent. When they got belligerent, they started shooting, and I should have got out of the way sooner, okay, but whatever. So it kind of turns into a shit show, but it's actually awesome because they're shooting now literally at each other, okay, as we sort of get down and just sort of chunk something. And so like in this particular incident, as soon as it happened, we're only about 100 yards from our linear ambush, which of course is facing the wrong direction, okay? But you can't really stand up right now, so we call in for air cover. So like now we decide that, okay, great. We need to not be in the middle of this. Yeah. So we kind of crawl about 100 yards, give or take a little jog here and under rice paddy dike and so So we get back with our people. So we're kind of like in our linear, turn it around the white way, fold in the ends. Okay, everybody's cool. We're ready to rock. And here comes Puff. So that was, again, I got my taxpayer's money. Uh, there were four stacked over us. Oh, dang. And one would fire till it was empty, rotate off, bring in the next one, fire. So like when we got up the next morning, besides being covered in brass everywhere, okay? So you're it, there through the whole, the oh, entire yeah, night? yeah, yeah, yeah. We How many up. hours is that? So I got shot at 11.30 and I got medevaced at seven in the morning. So you got, is that early on in the fight you got shot? 11.30. Yeah, when, when, like right, when the, the, right at the beginning? Yeah, pretty close. Because like I was out there in the middle, then we crawled back and then we got the stuff and we, yeah. And so. did you get, was it a, when uh, when you got shot, were you standing up, were you shooting? or were you No, actually just, I was sitting down and I was like moving over one of the other guys that got hit. So like I rolled my flak jacket off, which you were never supposed to do, but I took it off anyways. Okay, because like I got all this stuff about what you're supposed to do. I also know what you do. Okay, and what you do isn't always what you're supposed to do. Yep. So I took the jacket off and go over there. And so um, one other guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, you know, through the lake. So he's not going to die. We like abandoned him. And I, mine was just like a. They just nicked me. It was like off my right shoulder. Well, okay. yeah, yeah, whatever. It was okay. a little more than a nick. I yeah, mean, yeah, you got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what did I say in the cowboy moves? Yeah, they just they just nicked me. Okay. I, it's <laughs> just, just a flesh wound. It was yeah, a little more a flesh wound. Yeah. Right. Sort of. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's, it's all good. You know what I mean? Like, so right. you have two wounded out of four. Right. And so we go back, and the one guy's got a leg thing, which is another reason you crawl, because you kind of got to drag this guy, because he can't actually jump up and run. I mean, it's Is it a Marine or Indigenous? Uh, indigenous. Okay. okay. So one of my Vietnamese kids. So, like, uh, yeah. So, and so you, when I say kids, everybody goes, what does that mean? Well, remember that the Marines and Cap units were generally 18, 19, and 20 years old. They were, we were very salty. Okay? Right. Our Vietnamese were 15, 16, and 17 years old. Wow. Because as soon as they turned 18, they were automatically taken into the Arvin Army. Oh, wow. Okay, so we had kids. Yep. Okay. So one's wounded. A lot of, lot of crazy kids. You know, that's the great thing about a 15-year-old kid. He thinks he's going to live forever. Right. So he'll do some really dumb shit if he kind of likes you. Okay. <laughs> so, we get, so anyways, we get hit, and we go there, and it's not a big deal. Uh, the, they're dropping flares, which turns out to be a shit show later on. So you're hit. You're still moving. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm and fine. you're dragging it. You're trying to drag yeah, we, we drag it down. Yes, there. Yeah, there's no John Wayne stuff. We just, you're we trying kinda, to move out of there. There's yeah, still... we just, so we get back to the ambush, fold in the ends. Everything is good. We're good. Um, now we, they figured out where we are, so they start shooting at us. That's fine. We start shooting at them. And so now you're back with more Marines. Yeah, I'm back with the, the... And this was one of those, by the grace of gods, on that particular evening, we didn't split into two. Okay. Because everybody was a little tired. And so if you're tired, every once in a while, we put everybody and blend together. So we're now talking a nominal 24, five of us total. Okay. Marines and, uh, and our Vietnamese. 
And so are they still, do you come back to, a, they're, they're lined up, you're, you've so moved yeah, back to them. So they, yeah, they know we're coming. We moved back to them and we're all on the same line now. Okay. So now. Are you getting treated right oh, now? Oh, yeah. The, the corpsman on you? Yeah, the corpsman comes. We always have a corpsman, you know, the, yep. that's sort of a Navy Marine. Yeah. Okay. So like. Um, and what does he do? Is he just stuff your wound? Well, they, the, the deal with it is, is, is really everyone shit themselves really bad because when I got hit the round was a tracer. So it kind of actually, even though we laugh about being nicked, it was a nick, yeah, sort of, but it kind of cauterized itself too. You wow. know, because, but the, my jacket was a little bit kind of ashy, burning yeah. a little bit. I mean, like not on fire, yeah. but it was so like- Did it exit in the very or beginning, it disintegrate when it hits? What did it, what did it, it do when it, it hit? actually just like went in, hit the shoulder, play a ball- what do they call that? Yeah. What do they call that? I don't know, a socket or yeah, something? Yeah, or? yeah, the backside. And kind of creased it and went out. So it actually, if you look at it, it looks like a knife cut. I mean, it's not like this big gaping hole like guys that lost their freaking legs. I mean, bless them. Okay, so um, yeah, so he comes up and, you know, like uh, when that kind of got on fire, it was a sort of, because at first it was just a really rock, solid, heavy smack. I mean, think of Mike Tyson hitting you with a boxing glove. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, oh, God, I've been hit and wounded. I'm dying. You know, no. Uh, all I remember the sensation is just like, I kind of, kind of, you kind of wonder who the hell hit me. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's how you kind of hit. So like when it, it was kind of ashy, I reached back and started smacking it. So when I smacked it, I splattered blood all over. So by the time I got back, covered in mud, then I got blood all over me. So it looks like my face has been blown off. Everyone's shitting themselves. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, mom, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. I'm fine. And they go like, hey, this is a morphine. I go, oh, Jesus, no, no. Okay, like, no, we're just getting ready to rocket this thing because now <laughs> the two tree lines have turned fight. this way. Now everyone's shooting. We're shooting back. Everyone's shooting. It's a happy meal. So you're still fighting. Yeah, I, I you know, whatever, bloop. There you go, yeah. take that, you know, whatever. And, you know, no John Wayne shit, absolutely not. Call on the air, awesome. Here comes these puffs, man. So we got like one that came to us and one more that came, and then one that was somewhere else that hadn't fired those. So anyway, we had four. They're awesome. They're circling, okay? And they're kind of laying off, so they're not like stacked up like a chimney. They're like laying yeah. off, okay? And you can always tell. They'll turn. When they turn, you see the blue exhaust. Then you know it's getting ready to get ready because they turn, okay? Yeah. So anyways, um, when we got up the next morning, it literally looked like they had run for like football fields around us. Wow. It looked like someone had run a rototiller. Jeez. I mean, it just, it was, everything was shredded. Anything that had vegetation shredded down to the stump. I mean, they shot the crap out of everything. So, and I would point out here <clears throat> uh, that when a gunship shoots, bullets have been known to ricochet. So shit flies everywhere. This idea that every bullet fired from the plane goes into the ground. No, they don't. Okay, I mean that when you see the tracers, like the streams. Uh -huh. Okay, there's always you know four more between each one, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff is going somewhere. Okay, and so like, uh, I mean, you're kind of go like, uh, you know, that's an extra hole in my pack, and I didn't have it before. It's been underneath me like in this hole all night. There's no way anyone in that tree line could have shot that. Yeah. Okay, so like that's where you get into weird shit like friendly fire and Jeez. stuff like that so but yeah it, it was all great uh i'm sun comes up the next morning yep helicopter comes in air calf air calf big old yellow in. shield okay big how many people bottom. were wounded in that besides uh, you so and your just indige? the other just the other two that and i have no idea on the other side you know that was that was one of those ones where we don't know we're not counting we don't care yeah you know, it was just like shoot everything let's move away from this before we run into something that's bigger i think the cap units 
they would stick and fight, but they also learned their lesson during Tet. Hmm. You know, like there is, there are audio tapes of Marine captains being overrun during Tet. Oh, wow. Where the guys were on the radio going like, holy crap, man, there's like 300 guys out here. Jeez. Okay, and there's like six of us. Okay. Okay, tell my wife I said goodbye. You know, so, yeah. But, you know, that happens. Dang, so you're, you're two weeks away from going home. Right. Now you're heading back and you go to a field hospital somewhere. Yeah, so I go, uh, uh, long story short, helicopter, hospital ship, hospital ship, Da Nang, Da Nang. I go to Iwakuni, Japan. I stay there for a month and change. And then um, from there, back to Okinawa, home for a month, and then back to Vietnam for six more months. No kidding, with back, a new unit? No, no, I went back to my cap units. And they're, yeah. but new guys or the same guys are still there? Uh, a few of the same guys, yeah. Because it's not uh, one of those things where your whole unit's coming back and another one's right. relieving, the people are coming. Right. So oh. if you, there's a thing if anybody has interest in, it's not a sales pitch, but it's called capmarine.com. And some people over the years have like put a lot of stuff together about it. And so they had a pretty high um, rate of attrition in cap units. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you, you know how that is. If you take a small group and put them someplace, then they're, you know, like your yeah. teams. If you put a SEAL team in of four guys, okay, and they run into 100 Taliban, that's, you're going to have like losses, you know, it just happens. So, but yeah. And you go back. So did you go home? There and see uh, see mom and dad. Yeah. So I, oh yeah, right home. And then, and then back going to, back back to Indiana and then back to Vietnam and then, then same place, I, same village. Yep. Actually, they had moved um, um, like to a new village, like I don't know, two miles closer to company okay. headquarters, so to speak. And they were just shifting stuff, you know, because you were out. You're welcome, so to speak, <laughs> in certain places. And same uh, mission. Had anything changed in no, that time, nothing, or nothing just changed? Everything was the same. Same thing. Yeah, same thing. And they did that up until the time I left. When I left, um, I literally, it was like, you know, no big happy meal. It's just your day. You just get your shit. You know, you go back to the dang. They put you on the Pan American. You go uh, directly uh, from um, Vietnam to Hawaii. And then we went back. Uh, and of course, there when you're in Da Nang is where they do all the like download, you know, no hand grenades, no guns, you know what I'm getting at. So, like, yeah, yeah, turn right, everything right, back right, in. Right, turn everything back in. And then um, literally when I got back, that was when, so it was December of 69. Um, that was the fastest the Marine Corps ever moved with anything because <laughs> they were starting the Vietnamization. Uh-huh. So, literally, when we were there, um, there were uh, probably four or 500 of us like in different barracks and stuff. Yeah. And um, they just go like, you're out of the Marine Corps. And I go like, yeah, but I signed up for four years. Mm, yeah, but we don't need you anymore. Wow. So I served right at three years. No kidding. Yeah. And that was just it. Here you go, sign here. Yeah. And of course, you know, you go into the reserves. For a few okay. years, however yeah. long that was. Yeah. And uh, there's, the, so like in December, I was in rice paddies. And in January, I... Got a job working for the, my first job was working for the phone company. I was up on top of a pole in northern Indiana in January, taking telephone wires down. Wow. So, no, like, hey, you know, you, and you know, I think I've told you, technically, everyone knows in the military there's a DD-214. Right. So, like, uh, I never did anything after that. I mean, you know, like, in the sense of I, I just went on with my life. But then in 
my friend I told you about that was an Inchon, um, he was always badgering me about like, hey, go to the VA, get, get, what, you, get what you have yeah. coming. I mean, you know, like in the- And you went once. So I went once in 70, and then I went once in 2002. So when I went back- That was your follow-up appointment? Yeah, that was my follow-up appointment. It's like really 30, typical. years later, yeah. So I went, and, and then uh, it was interesting, though. You talk to the people, and you know, you know what I'm getting at. You, uh, we, you get, now we get into, they wouldn't even have known to call it that 30 years before, but now they have you know, post-traumatic stress, and do you need counseling? And I go like- I think I managed the last 32, I got this covered. <laughs> but then it was amazing, I got all kinds of shit in the mail, okay, after I went. So I got it upgraded, what's called a DD-215. Oh really, I've yeah. never heard of this. Right, so it had all your upgraded stuff, all the decorations that you kind of nice. got shorted when you were chunked out the door, huh. not, to, not that they're worth a nickel or whatever. Hey. And the cool thing is I got like a formal in a red cover, Purple Heart citation. Oh, wow. You didn't have one commandant. before? No. I had a piece of type paper that said, no, you know, No one ever presented it to you? They shouldn't show up in the hospital? Well, and give they, you one. they showed up at the hospital because I think I told you Lou Walt was a three-star general. He gave me my Purple Heart in Danang before okay. I went to Iwakuni, Japan. Right. Okay. So, like, and Lou Walt had a vested interest in the CAP units. He really liked them a lot. Okay. And he's an old Marine Raider from, like, Guadalcanal. Oh, wow. I mean, like, so this is a real deal. That's, yeah, Marine. That's yeah, serious. This is not like a 19-year-old knucklehead standing there shot because he forgot to get out of the way. This guy is a real Marine. Yeah. Like, a wow. A, an original raider. Yeah. Not like, a, yeah. Jeez. So, but well, yeah, it was just like, you get all that stuff. And, you know, um, like I said, and that was, I always tell the joke, like, um, I got home on Saturday and Sunday morning, my dad came in. This is what I was going to ask yeah, you about. Yeah, because I, I think it's I, valuable for people. Yeah, I love my dad. Okay. My dad is awesome. I had great parents, but my dad was born again hard. Okay. I mean, like yeah. 42 missions in the Pacific and yeah, he lost a lot of friends. And so like, it was funny. Saturday, I get home. Hey, hey, you know, hug, a group hug. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's find a girlfriend right quick. Okay, so like whatever. <laughs> so Sunday morning, we're sitting at the table, and my uh, mom's cooking breakfast, and she's just whoo, happy meal. And uh, my sisters and brothers, you know, everybody's like, hey, and uh, you know, stupid made it home. And <laughs> so my dad walks in, and he goes, hey, I want you to know that uh, um, I'm really thankful that you're home. I'm glad that you're safe. Okay, and I appreciate what you did. Okay, and he said, I need to know when you're gonna get a job. And I go, tomorrow be okay, sir? He goes, yeah, that'd be fine. That, and I think that's valuable That's for how everyone. we spent Sunday, go get yep. a job. Because those guys got back from World War II and that's what they did. Yeah. I mean, they just got back to work. And I think that's it. You know, I, I think like we said, there's a lot of these things, heroes and honor. We know there are. You've met them, you've seen them. I know there are, I've met them, I've seen them. You know, uh, like my friend, Major Tom, you know, he had a silver star, man. He had a bronze star. He had three purple hearts from two different wars. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this Legion of Merit, this guy is a guy. Legit. You know what I mean? He's legit. I mean, I'm just a guy who forgot to get the fuck out of the way. You wow. know what I'm saying? But, um, and, but um, you know, it was funny when I was in the DMZ up north before I got transferred to Cap Unis. I did get a piece of mail and I got my draft notice. So, <laughs> so, that was awesome. Okay. So like, uh, yeah. But that, a lot, that happened to a lot of guys. It was really funny. It was, it was sort of the family joke. Yeah. They used it as a fire starter that night. Oh. So like, yeah. But uh, no, there was, um, there was a lot more to life than just doing that. I think, you know, if you, and I'm absolutely, you straight in the face, I am absolutely not a perfect person. I've done some shit in my life I'm not proud of, but I don't mean like rob banks or rape chickens. I'm saying, you know, I, I would have made different decisions, you know, on some stuff. 
Um, but, you know, um, not being, spending my 19th and 20th birthdays both in Vietnam and being 71 now, um, I wouldn't take a thing for it, but I don't want to do it again. I get it. If I had to do it again, like, if you go, hey, Clint, I need you to come with me. Yeah, I'll go with you. But you already know I move slow. Okay, so <laughs> I have a bum leg now, so, but whatever. But uh, no, it's, a, it's just a life experience. If you're going to call people heroes and talk about people with honor and talk about those things, they're, they're probably, I don't know about those words, but I know there are people who showed up and gave their lives and died alone mm-hmm. and probably scared. And I think that um, we should remember those people. You know what I mean? I think there's something to that. I, um, and they did it a lot. I mean, we did it in World War I, we did it in World War II, you know, we did it in Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, and um, I, I don't know what honor is in a manner of speaking, man. We can come up with a definition and I, I don't know, you know, about all that, but I'm just saying that uh, I, I think that there's, um, um, there's something in this that needs to remember yeah. that other people didn't come back. Yeah, sure. And so, you know, people go, hey, how's your life? And they go like, really? Dude, I'm living the dream. <laughs> I'm like, woo, you know, yeah. compared to I didn't come back, you know, so like, um, yeah. And, what, and would, what would you say to, uh, or if you, for a message for people that have, have not met you, have not come here to train, uh, do not maybe have uh, a mentor in their life. They've spent a few years in the military. They have an experience in Iraq and Afghanistan and now they're home and now they're, they're out of the military. Uh, do you have anything that yeah, I think uh, you that say to them? They say, I, you are told that a nominal 22 people a day commit suicide from military service members, prior service members. I think that um, uh, if there was a way that we could help these people. You know, some people are just crazy. I know I've seen it as a cop. You're, that guy's just crazy, okay? You know, there's really no resolve. That guy's got a gun. He's walking around the front yard shooting. A, yeah, I got it. There's a resolution for that. But I think they're also the same. There are people who, that we talked about a moment ago about people remembering people who perished. Yeah. I think there are people who have perished to a degree, but they're still physically here. I think if we could do something to maybe address that. You know, I think there's probably some form of evil in the world as we discussed, yeah. but I think that maybe you and I could see if we could not contribute to that today. Well, it's, yeah. You know, maybe we could That's raise children that kind of had a, you know, hey, you know, you shouldn't get shit for free, you know. Um, and, you know, I got it. If, if people are downtrodden and what's that thing on the Statue of Liberty? You know, give me your, yeah. yeah. But dude, really? Like, here's a thought. On Sunday morning, your dad should walk in and go, get a job. That's it, right there. Yeah. I think that's a great way to, way to end it. Clint, thank you so much yes. for doing this. Yes. And uh, we'll, uh, if, if, once again, uh, it's, it's an honor Yep. know you in order to sit thank down you. with you thank awesome. you for taking the time I to do this it. and uh, i'm looking forward to part two all right thank you all right appreciate it. the home buying experience can be a daunting one navy federal credit union is here to help military members and their families tackle home ownership they offer mortgage options with zero down payment so you don't need to wait years to save they offer mortgage options that don't require private mortgage insurance so you'll save money each and every month Members save $2,500 on average when they choose Navy Federal for their mortgage. With resources like Realty Plus, you can get an experienced real estate agent, and Navy Federal is a top VA home lender. 
Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one, in the Amazon series adaptation of the Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee, keep crushing. Thank you so much to Six Hour for jumping right on board out of the gate to make this podcast possible. Obviously, I am a huge SIG fan, having carried the P226 on every deployment downrange in the SEAL teams. Uh, but SIG was a supporter. They were friends well before uh, I was a New York Times bestselling author, uh, well before I even had an Instagram account or any social media presence whatsoever. So thank you guys all so much. Uh, Ron, Tom, Jason, everybody at SIG who gets up every day and continues to crush it and lead the way. SIG is always adapting. They're always at the forefront, whether it is firearms for citizens, whether it's firearms for our military, ammo, suppressors, optics, training, fire control units. They are doing it all and they're always pushing, pushing that envelope and trying to do it better each and every day through innovation and adaptation, they crush. So thank you so much for that friendship and support. Uh, it will never be forgotten. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, got a few things to go over today. And where should I start? Probably right here with the terminal list. So we have a few new additions out there with Chris Pratt on the cover. This is a trade paperback right here, a little bigger than the mass market paperback. If you're watching this, you can see the chain, uh, the sizes are right there. So awesome. And then there is this hardcover edition. And very rarely do they do a hardcover edition with for a media, for a movie tie-in type of a thing. But uh, they did on this and it is Awesome. I wrote a new foreword for this. It's only in the hardcover edition. Talks about how the book came to be, how the series came to be. And then there are a bunch of exclusive photos from the set in here. I'll share one right there. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Look at that guy. Uh, but bam, what is it? On June 14th, this will be uh, on shelves. So uh, available now. You can go to my website if you have a hard time finding it because there's a lot of editions out there now. Uh, you can go to my website. There's a blog about the different editions here and you can link right from there to figure out where to get this book with Chris Pratt on the cover and the hardcover edition. It's a limited edition, collector's edition right here. So uh, I don't think they're printing anymore after this, uh, this run. So, uh, and it looks pretty Awesome. So thank you to Amazon. Thank you to Simon Schuster for doing this. And uh, yeah, could not be more fired up. So that is that. What else do I have going on? Oh, this jacket. Best Defense Foundation, Donnie Edwards, Catherine Edwards, incredible people. They started the Best Defense Foundation to take care of the ones who took care of us, to take veterans back to the battlefields on which they fought for closure, 
to say goodbye to their friends who didn't make it home. And uh, my daughter and I did one in Pearl Harbor for the 80th anniversary of that event. And it was a life-changing experience for my daughter. Uh, it was absolutely incredible, so powerful, so moving. Gave me hope for the future of the country as we pushed the veterans in their wheelchairs through the streets of Honolulu. Uh, the whole island, it seemed, came out to uh, to celebrate them and, uh, and what they did. Uh, and this time we went to Normandy. So we went back there for the 78th anniversary of D-Day. We took 29 veterans of World War II. Uh, they're all getting up there close to hundred, some having passed that milestone. Uh, and it was absolutely incredible to walk those beaches, walk the streets of the towns in which they fought. Uh, so powerful. So thank you to the Best Defense Foundation for all you do. And uh, thank you to Delta who sponsored it, Sig Sauer who sponsored it, Black Rifle Coffee, Born Primitive, uh, Michelin. So thank you for making that happen for those veterans. Uh, it also gave me uh, a little bit of hope in that if we had more Americans go to Normandy, particularly around D-Day, you can see the entire countryside comes out. They have not forgotten what, uh, what the allies did for them in World War so it is absolutely incredible to see these World War II veterans were treated like rock stars everywhere they went. There was this genuine appreciation, American flags everywhere, 101st airborne flags everywhere, 82nd airborne flags everywhere, vintage Jeeps, vintage uniforms, parades, fireworks. It was pretty incredible. So uh, thank you to Donnie Edwards and Catherine Edwards for making that happen, for starting the Best Defense Foundation and for all the sponsors who uh, who made that uh, trip a reality for these guys. So it was an honor to be a part of it and to help out for for a little bit. And uh, uh, yeah, bestdefensefoundation.org for more information. You can follow them on the social channels as well. And SIG. Okay, people have been waiting for this one right here. So this is the SIG 10 millimeter. So once again, SIG, sponsor of the Best Defense Foundation to make that D-Day commemoration happen for those 29 veterans we took back. But this right here, this is the 10 mil. Oh yeah. P320X10. Yep. This thing. Awesome. Check that out. Oh yeah. P320 full size has a rail right here. Optic ready up here. Magazine right here. 15 rounds of 10 millimeter. And I know a lot of people have been waiting for this one. And I'm going to get some, uh, uh, get a holster rig set up by my friends at Black Point Tactical for this. Uh, and yeah, 10 millimeter aficionados. And if you're not, well, you should become one. Uh, awesome. So that is it. The X10 right there. You can go to sixhour.com to check out more about it. You can go to their uh, social channels and check out more about it there as well. This just, uh, just dropped here recently. And I think they knocked this one out of the park. So SIG, well done. And ammo-wise, double tap on the 10 mil stuff. Uh, I think that's a good way to go. So this is the 135 grain controlled expansion right here. And uh, yeah, double tap, check out what they have going on. They have a bunch of different options for the 10 mil, but I went with the 135 grain right there. And there it is, 10 mil, get after it. Thank you for tuning into the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Clint Smith, go to thunderranchinc.com. Same thing on the social channels, Thunder Ranch Inc. And be sure and get out to Oregon to train with Clint Smith. Uh, you will not regret it. You'll be a better prepared citizen for it. Can't wait to get back there. So perhaps I'll see you on 
the range. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. You can go there to see the new trailer for The Terminal List starring Chris Pratt coming to Amazon Prime Video on July 1st. All eight episodes dropping at once, so it will be bingeable. Right here, this hardcover drops on June 14th. So he has the new forward in there, has the pictures in there from the set, and June 14th for that one. And you can go to my website, officialjackcar.com, for everything else. Thank you so much for tuning in. Sincerely appreciate it. Take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.